timeless theme, earth and heaven will pass away. It's not a dream, God will make all things new that day. Gone is the curse from which I I just wanted to say before they came, <laughs> we are glad to have you with us. Now listen, I want to do a little exercise here, right? Listen, I, I, I heard some amen going on. See, we say amen around here when we agree with something, you know? We say, man, the Word of God, that's right, that's what God says, you know? And uh, so we go, amen, we go, hallelujah, we go, praise God, we go, that's good, 
Whatever. You know what I mean? We do those things. Oh, listen, you're allowed to do that. Okay, you're allowed to. I just want to I want to I want to cut you loose tonight, all right? If God says God says something through this preacher tonight and and you just I mean it just connects with your heart, you're welcome to say amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I don't know. Now you I don't want you to stand up speaking in tongues. All right? We'll we'll let him do all the tongue talking. But honestly, I want you to just, and we don't, we don't do that here, mind you, if you're visiting, but, but the fact is, is that we just want you to feel like you have some liberty to just let the Lord work in your life tonight, all right? So listen, let's just, we're, we're all friends here tonight, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, if you get out of hand, well, I'll talk to you later, but uh, I think it'll be okay, I really do, I think it'll be all right. Well, the lady's going to come sing for us, and then Brother Houston's going to come and preach, and I really do expect God to do something great tonight. And praise the Lord, huh? Amen. Will you stand up for Jesus?
Amen. It's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Amen. You know, it's not always popular. You can go out and talk to anybody about the weather, talk to them about sports and everything else in the world, but when you bring up the name of Jesus, things change, don't they? Amen. Because there's power in that name. Amen. Thank you. What wonderful music this church has. I want to just acknowledge Brother Rod Black being with us tonight. Thank you, Brother Black, for coming. I sure hope you're praying for his dear wife, Debbie. Well, I tell you what, what a wonderful couple and you know the music she's written and the singing they do and, and the preaching and just praise the Lord for them. I, I pray for her every day. The Lord will heal her. Amen. She's got a cancer they say is incurable. My daddy had it and he passed away. Uh, but you know what? With God, nothing's impossible. I mean, I was going through my cancer, and God's done wonderful things for us. But you know, I just said, Lord, all you got to do is say the word. And I'm healed. All you got to do is will it. You know, God, all I need to do if I just touch the hem of your garment and have the faith, and I can see it done. Amen. And boy, good reports. Thank you, Brother Black, for coming. Oh, we love you, love your wife. Tell her we love her, please. And, and so thankful that you're here. And I guess this was his mom and dad's church, amen? And so praise the Lord, amen. Thank God for those who serve him, amen? amen. I thank you, God, that you're here tonight, amen? amen. A lot of times when I preach, I kind of thin the crowd out. <laughs> I don't try to. <laughs> but we're living in the day when they sometimes don't like to hear sound preaching. You know, the Bible said the time will come when they will no longer endure sound doctrine. We have the mega churches growing because people don't want no, they, they, they go there because they, they want a place where there's no conviction. I don't want to come to church and feel convicted about anything. And I'm not trying to hurt anybody or anything. I am an evangelist, and I'll talk about that in a minute. They want no conviction, they want no commitment. I'm not coming back on Sunday night. Wednesday night, you got to be crazy. Oh, you think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and knock doors? The third thing they don't want is control. What I mean by that is they don't like authority. They don't want anybody to tell them what to do. Can I tell you, we all are rebels. None of us like to be told what to do. But that's what this book is right here. A book of commandments, not suggestions. I just want to say something. I noticed God never said please. I'm not trying to be mean. He doesn't say please. Can I tell you something? When authority has to beg, God does not beg us. When authority has to beg, it has ceased to be authority. Let me say something to you dads. If you have to beg your kids, would you please clean your room? You've lost authority. God is not going to get down on his knees and beg us. Now, he loves us and he'll help us. His, his grace and his mercy and his spirit. But we got to get over this that, you know, God needs to handle us with kit gloves. You know, we're soldiers. Amen. Amen. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight, 
and not a game. Amen. I had a daddy, he never said please in his life. Amen. My dad used to say, son, when I say jump, you ask how high on the way up. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're here tonight. I hope you'll be here every night. If you're providentially hindered tonight, I, I feel sorry for those that had that happen. But I sure hope those that just laid out for whatever reason, I hope God will work in their hearts. Amen. We ought to come here and get what God has for us. Amen. So thank you. I love the music. What is revival? If we have true revival, your life will change. If nothing changes uh, through these three, four days, you've not had revival. And I'll tell you what, revival will only last as long as the change continues. And here's what I find. Many revivals don't last but a couple days. Many revivals, when we end on, end on Wednesday, they don't last until Saturday. Because we came to an altar and made a commitment, Saturday comes and we break the commitment. That's not true revival. That's not godly repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of. Earthly sorrow doesn't do that. Well, you know, I'm kind of burdened. I'm sorry, Lord. And, and so, but I don't have a true brokenness. Amen. I tell you, I love old Jacob. He had an event that changed his life forever. God says, Jacob, I want to wrestle with you and I want to change your life. And Jacob said, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And then all of a sudden he realizes it's God. He said, oh, well, wait a minute, God, I do want it. And he started wrestling with God, and God's trying to get away. God's trying to see how serious Jacob is about getting things right in his life. Finally, God just touches the sinew of his thigh, and it dries up. And Jacob says, who are you? And he said, what do you need to know my name for? You know who I am, Jacob. And then God says to him, you know what, Jacob, you'll no longer be called Jacob, supplanter, trickster, from now on, you'll be called Israel, a prince. Amen. And the Bible says after that experience, Jacob's name was changed. His basic nature was different. So he goes to his brother Esau in humility. And the Bible says from that time forward, he halted upon his thigh. He never got over that. You know what? I love those moments in my life, preacher, that I've never gotten over. Yes. You want your preacher wants? He wants you to experience in your life what God has done in his life. That's what preachers long for. We long for our people, our laymen, to experience when God just really gets hold of your heart, breaks your heart, and, and takes control of your life to the point you'll say, God, I don't care whatever it costs and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Amen. I hope somebody will have a Jacob service this week. Wouldn't that be great? I can look at my life and look at those Jacob experiences and say, thank God. Thank God I let the Holy Spirit break me. Thank God I ran to an altar and said, I surrender, God. I'm done fighting you. No more wrestling against you. I want what you have for me. And I guess God did some breaking, but he didn't, he didn't touch the sinew of my thigh, so I don't do like this all the time. Amen. Take your Bibles this evening. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. 
There are, I believe, four types of evangelists. I don't have any Bible for this, so this is not really doctrinal. This is just observation. I believe the four types of evangelists are this. Number one, evangelistic evangelists. I believe those are evangelists. Somehow God has given them a great ability to preach the gospel and see a lot of people saved. I think Dennis Corll is such an evangelist. Have Dennis Corll come. He can work an invitation and see people saved like crazy. I believe the second type of evangelist is the specialist evangelist. I think of S.M. Davis preaching on the home. I think of guys that preach on prophecy like Brother Hillabiddle. I think of guys like, uh, uh, that, that preach on the King James Bible. And then I think the third type of evangelist is the camp meeting evangelist. I wish I was a camp meeting evangelist. Amen. You know, camping evangelist tells you how good heaven is, how wonderful God is. You shout her out and go home. We kind of had a camp meeting last night. Amen. The third type of evangelist, I, or fourth type of evangelist, I call a revivalist. I believe a revivalist's job is to bring people to a recognition of the things that are wrong in their life that need to be fixed. Amen. I believe that. I believe that's what God's called me to do. I believe Peter was the evangelist of the first church. James was the pastor. Many people, mis, I believe, misinterpret uh, uh, mis, uh, that Peter was the, evangel- was the pastor. He was not. Peter was the evangelist. How do you know, brothers? Well, he was at Joppa, wasn't he? Anytime that Paul did something, they sent Peter to check it out. So in Peter, in his, in his book, he, book, he writes this, I think it's meet as long as I'm in my body to stir you up. I've come here with the purpose this week to stir us up. I believe that this is a great church. I, I, I was there for soul winning Saturday morning. Boy, hallelujah. Great testimonies. What a great spirit. I come in and the fellowship is wonderful here. The music is great. You know, and, and your pastor is solid and you're solid people. And, and I almost feel like, you know, what am I doing here? You don't really need me. But I do believe that if all of us would be honest, we, we got areas we need stirred up. I'm going to preach to myself tonight. And if God will use it in your life, that'll be fine. But I'm going to talk to myself tonight about something that I know I need in my life. Something that I hunger and thirst for. And something I believe that I can do some things about. But something I really think that I need God to do in my life. Can I tell you, there's some things you can do yourself and you ought to. But there's some things that we need God to do for us. Jacob needed God to change him. Amen. And, and I want to say this, just kind of start off. You know, uh, some people sit around and say, I'm, I'm waiting for the moving of the Holy Ghost. That's okay, and we have that, and, 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 and thank God, and I hope he'll do that tonight. But I want to say certain things that have been commanded in the Bible, he already moved. That's right. Says that in Peter. Holy men didn't speak of their own will, but as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you don't need to get moved by those things, really. You just need to move. But it's good when God, the Holy Spirit, really just, just burdens our heart and just fills us with a passion to do those things. And I hope that's what God will do tonight. Amen. Stand with me, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word in Matthew chapter 9. And we'll look at verse number 36. And the Bible says, but when he, speaking of Jesus, saw the multitudes, watch it, he was moved 
with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He will send forth laborers into his harvest. When I was a boy, there used to be a commercial on television about E.F. Hutton. And this is what it said. When E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. There'd be people flying on an airplane talking about financial stuff. And one guy say, well, E.F. Hutton says, and everybody stops and turns their ear and listens. Could I say to you tonight, when Jesus speaks, we better listen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I wish I could say tonight that I have in my heart, in my life, what I'm going to preach about tonight. Lord, I've preached this sermon many times, and every time I've preached it, I've realized, Lord, I need this. I want this. I hunger after this. Lord, I have to acknowledge to you that because I'm human... And because I'm self-centered and selfish. And because I I, I have my life upside down and backwards so much. That I cannot really say I'm like what we need to be tonight. So Lord I'm preaching to myself and I trust Lord that you'll help others with it. God I pray I'll preach exactly the way I should not say anything I shouldn't. God, I not go any longer than I ought to, and I'll give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. In this passage of Scripture, we see the Lord Jesus Christ is standing and he's looking. You may be seated. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can stand all day. I have to. <laughs> Jesus is looking and he sees the multitudes. And the Bible said he was moved with compassion. Can I just ask you a question? How do you respond when you see the multitudes? You know, we're out in this world. I go out in this world. How do you respond when you see that person looks like they fell face first in a tackle box and a bunch of it stuck? What is your response to that? You see that person who's cut all their hair off except this stuff in the middle and got it spiked up, got four or five different colors in there. And what, really, what is your, what is your, what do, you, what do you think about them? What do you think about that guy who walks around and thinks his belt goes down here instead of up here? How is it, what do you think when you see that woman? She don't. She don't care about what happens to her body. Uh, what is your, what is, uh, what is the way, how do you respond when you see that person that's a drug addict? We came back from Solwyn and Brad and Megan and Miss Houston and I, and there was a young lady standing on the corner at the, at the, at the Papa John's across from the right eight there on Waterloo. Is that what it is, Waterloo? And I saw her. And I think Megan and my wife mentioned something about she's crying or something. 
I went to Rite Aid afterwards later in the day to get some, some Claritin for my, uh, my, 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 my sinuses. And that lady was still sitting there. And I kept thinking about her. And I drove off and came home. When I got home, I told my wife, I said, she's still sitting there. I felt so ashamed of myself. I don't know what her need was. I don't know why she was there. I don't even really know what she looked like because all I could see was her backside. I don't know if she's just some, some homeless person trying to get some money. But I say sometimes we see those people and we kind of just avoid. Amen. We just kind of we walk around them because uh, uh, there's something about them that just... Uh, but when Jesus saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion. You study that word moved with compassion, you'll find that it says that he, was, he had a yearning in his gut. I like to call it this. I believe this. I believe that Jesus became burdened. I believe what's talking about was Jesus was burdened. I believe the, the disciple, I think Jesus, this was a moment. Jesus had, his disciples had seen him do miracles. His disciples had seen him teach. But I don't think they'd ever seen his heart yet. And I think on that day, Jesus decides it's time for them to see my heart. It's time to see the inside, not just the outside. And I believe as he looked at that, I just believe this. I believe some tears began to puddle up in our Savior's eyes. I believe as he watched these people going by, I believe that the tears began to run down his cheek. That's not in the Bible. That's in Ted Houston's, uh, 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 you know, that's in my interpretation. I think the tears maybe ran down off his beard. And I believe they began to wet his garment. And I believe maybe Jesus took a big sigh And I think maybe he began to sob. He was so moved with the fact that these were sheep that had no shepherd. He was so moved. It led him to say to his disciples, I need you to see something. I need you to see what I see. I love that song. Let me see this world as though I were looking through your eyes. Amen. We need to quit looking at the world through our eyes. And we need to start looking at the world through Jesus' eyes. Amen. He said, fellas, I need to understand something. The harvest is truly great, and the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest. He'll send forth labors. Can I ask you, if you would, please, to turn in your Bible to the book of Romans. The book of Romans chapter number 8. And you're the book of Romans chapter 8. I want to lay out a principle here before I finish the message. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28 and 29, we all know it, amen. Also know Romans 8, 28, don't we? For we know that all things work together for good, amen. But look at verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now listen to me, I think we all know this. I think everybody would agree with me that the, what God's purpose when he saved me and when he saved you His predestined purpose or predestined design for me, uh, Josh, was that I become like Jesus. 
He said, here, I've saved you, and I want you to become like Jesus. Now, you know what? I don't think he was talking about the exterior. Amen? 1 Samuel chapter 16, I think it is, turn there with me. 1 Samuel chapter number 16. This is the setting of 1 Samuel 16. God has rejected Saul. He said to the, uh, to the prophet uh, 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 Samuel, uh, uh, he said, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint a king after my heart. And so Samuel goes, and you know the story. David is out in the field keeping the sheep, and the other six brothers are brought in. But when the first brother comes in, known as Eliab, the Bible says that Eliab was a, was a head and shoulders above a big man. He was of a beautiful countenance and that he was a man of war. So here comes in Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Samuel looks up and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And God says to him, watch it in verse number seven. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or the height of his stature because I have refused him. Now watch it, watch it, watch it. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Can I tell you tonight, I got my hair cut right. Can I tell you tonight, I got on modest clothes. Can I tell you tonight, I got everything outside right. Can I tell you we're good in our churches about getting everything on the outside right. And we should. But I'm telling you, God doesn't look down tonight and see how modestly you're dressed or what your hair length is. He's looking down tonight and he says, I want to see what's in your heart. I'm looking at the heart. That's the most important thing to me. By the way, the heart is the most important thing because your life comes out of your heart. When you do wickedly, we know what's in your heart. When you do right, we know what's in your heart. And God says to us tonight, you know what? I want you to be like Jesus. But what I want you to be like Jesus is I want you to have a heart like Jesus. I want to tell you tonight, my Savior had a heart that was burdened. Can I ask you how burdened you are? Oh yeah, we're so inner, sure we are. And maybe it's because of a burden, a little bit of burden. But a lot of times it's just because it's a duty. A lot of times it's just because that's what the preacher expects. And if I'm going to teach a Sunday school class, i got to do it. And that's why we only do it at soul winning hour. That's why so many times I don't witness except when I'm with the church. Because I don't have the burden I ought to have. I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not like Jesus. I don't claim to be like Jesus. If you don't have a burden like Jesus, you're not like him. Amen. I keep, you know, I preach this message. I get on the altar and say, Lord, I want to have a burden like you have. I want my heart broken like yours was. I'm honest with you, preacher. There were times in my life when I had more burden than I have now. Anybody want to join me in that? I remember 
another time when my heart was so burdened, people were dying to go to hell, that I literally shed tears over it. I just want to help you tonight. I'm trying to help. I, I need message tonight. I'm crying out to God. God, please give me a heart like Jesus. I just don't want to be a go through the motions. I don't just want to have all my T's crossed right and my I's dotted right. I don't just want to have the mechanics. I want to have the moving. I just don't want to have the duty. I want to have a devotion in my heart. Burdened. You know, let's just be honest. Many of us are more burdened about the price of gas than we are souls. I get that way. I am, I, I, my cancer was good in some ways, but it's bad in other ways. You know what cancer caused me to do? Be more, more burdened about me than anything else. When I was treating it naturally, I had to take a boatload of different supplements. I had to have three meals a day, and I had to fix them all on this diet. I'd get up in the morning, and I'd have my prayer time, read my Bible, and then I'd do, and I would fix this meal, take these supplements, then fix the new meal, take these supplements, then fix this evening meal, and take these supplements, and I'd get to the end of the day, uh, Brother Black, and I'd look up to God and say, God, you know what? The only thing I've been burdened about today is me. 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 What a selfish way to be a Christian. I'm not trying, uh, man, I'm, I hope God speaks to us tonight. I want God to reach inside my breast tonight. And I want him to take my cold, hard heart. And I want him to squeeze it like he can do. Like he's done many times in my life. Where I said, you know what, God? I really am broken about people dying and going to hell. I'm going to preach tonight on this subject. Six things that burdened our Savior. Can I just say tonight for myself and you if you'd like to, if I don't have these types of burdens in my heart, I can't claim to be like Jesus. I can claim maybe to, 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 to be somebody that lives right. I can claim to be somebody that's got figured out what the law says. And I should. But I want to be like him. Oh, to be like Thee, oh, to be like Thee, precious Redeemer. Amen. Number one, our, bur- our Savior was burdened, there were lost sheep. The Bible says when He looked on Him, when He saw the multitudes, He, he, he was moved with compassion because they were sheep. Without a shepherd. Can I say to you tonight that right now, tonight in heaven, I believe this, my Savior heart is broken because there are lost people in Akron, Ohio. Yes, sir. I think Jesus is still shedding tears in heaven. Yes, sir. I think as long as this world goes on before the judgment and there are lost people in this world, I believe our Savior looks down and says, it burdens me, it breaks my heart that there are people in Akron, Ohio, who are lost and on their way to hell. They have nobody to show them, nobody to lead them. And thus he says, pray the Lord of the harvest. He'll send laborers. You know what? You had a great crowd soul in and thank God for you. And I just thought the spirit and the passion was great. 
But what about everybody else? Come on. Amen. Not trying to be mean. I, I had a church of 175 people. I loved every one of them. I did not beat them up. I was not ugly. But you know, we used to have like 12 out for soul winning, Brother Josh. I used to wonder, where are the other 163? Wait a minute. Is it not? Does it not break your heart? Does it not stir you that there are people who are lost and they need to hear the gospel? Are you burdened tonight that there are people? I got so burdened about not talking to that gal on the corner. I thought to myself, what's wrong with you? I go home and talk to my wife. I almost left, dear. I almost said to you, let's go. There's a lost sheep out there. You know, we think that we think that we're the most important thing in the world because we're saved. But Jesus put that thing to rest. Remember, he said there was a man who had a hundred sheep. One of them went astray. Amen. He said he left the 90 and 9. And he went out to find the one lost sheep. And he looked until he found it. I was telling preacher today, Dr. Bob Gray helped me with something in soul winning. Number one, concentrate on responsibility, not results. Number two, look for people under conviction. But this is the one that really helped me. He said, go till you find one. Many times I stay out till 6 o'clock on Saturday because I hadn't found one yet. Well, why? Because that one sheep that's lost is so important to God. He said when that one sheep was found, there was more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over 90 and 9 just people that need no repentance. I'm not trying to be mean. God loves you. He's so glad you're saved tonight. But can I tell you something? If somebody got saved tonight, woo, they'd be shouting around heaven. Amen. If one of us would go out after this service with a broken heart, go out to McDonald's and get some golden arches in our back and lead somebody to Christ. Heaven would shout her out. Number one, he was concerned. There was lost sheep every day. They passed me by. I can't sing like Brother Black. I can't sing like the rest of you. I just sing because nobody will ever ask me to. They ask me to sing solo, solo they can't hear it, but I'm not going to do that. I know what you're thinking. Always wished you could sing. Now you wished I could. Every day they pass me by. They do, don't they? I can see it in their eyes. Oh, do we really? Let's be honest, we don't see it in their eyes. We don't look at them. We just, we want to be oblivious. I don't want to see. They might be somebody I don't want to touch. You know, Jesus touched the leper. They might soil me. Come on. Amen. You were soiled before you got saved. Aren't you glad somebody looked at you? He needs the Lord. You went on that job and had a Christian working with you. 
He looked and said, man, I care about that guy. He needs the Lord. He was burdened there were lost sheep. Number two, he was burdened there was lots to do. The harvest truly is plenteous. 7.6 billion people on the face of planet earth. We have countries where the gospel has never gotten to most of that nation. It's sad to say this. I was in Jeff City. Brother Randy Dignan was in Jeff City. Brother Alan Golden was in Jeff City. A hundred and some thousand people. And I promise you not everybody in that city heard the gospel. And he used to say, there's so much to do. Just look around you. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. He was burdened. There's so much to do. Are you burdened? Are you just burdened about your bills? Not saying you shouldn't be burdened about your bills. We carry a lot of burdens in life. But really the number one burden we ought to have is to have a burden in our heart for the lost. Because I'm telling you something, the most important thing in the world is a soul. Make a statement here and I want you to get it. I believe with all my heart. The most important business in the world is God's business. Not your business. Not my business. God's business is the most important thing. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have sent his son here. If it wasn't the most important thing in the world, Christ wouldn't have died for us. And you know what? He didn't say go into all the world and build a church building. I went to meddling there, didn't I? Thank God for your building. We built a 13,800 square foot building when I pastored. Thank God for it. But can I tell you something? That building ain't God's business. It's the people that get in that building. He didn't even say go into all the world and build a youth group. I'm not against any of this stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm simply saying that sometimes we're so burdened with things that are not the number one business that we lose a burden for the number one business. I ain't worried about people dying and going to hell. I'm worried about let's build this building. Let's have a Sunday school class. Those are great. But let's be burdened that people are on their way to hell. God, help me to get a burden hard. Help me to quit being hard-hearted. Number three, he was burdened. There was so little help. Harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. Isn't it sad? I, I could give you some missionary statistics tonight. And, and I don't, I'm not going to go and do it. Truth of the matter is, we had something like 50,000 missionaries back in the last century. We're down to something like 5,000 now. You know, it, it bothers me that our people are more concerned about being doctors and lawyers. I, I'm, I'm not promoting this college, but when I was teaching in the Christian school in Festus, I got news that at Bob Jones University on senior day of the Christian schools, 700 seniors from Christian school came to Bob Jones and only one went to the Bible department. 
Brother, I see it. I saw it in my church. Parents discouraging their children. That one young man comes to me and said, Preacher, I believe I'm called to preach, but my dad wants me to go to this particular place. I said, Son, what does God want you to do? His daddy was a businessman, and he wanted his son to get a business degree, and his son went to that college and got a business degree. Can I tell you something? His son's not even an independent Baptist church today. And more important, son, you make some money. No, it's more important, son. You get a burden for souls. And you go to the mission field if God calls you. And you'll be a preacher if God calls you. And definitely you'll be a soul winner. Amen. Hey, you know, had a good group out soul winning. Thank God. Guess what would happen if everybody was out soul winning? Can you imagine how much gospel would have got out if everybody in this church was out? So I'm not beating you up. I'm not your enemy. I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of got comfortable traveling on Saturday. I got comfortable, Brother Black. That way I could miss soul winning. And that's when, Brother, I was in French Lick, and they didn't have any soul winning Saturday. I said, Lord, I'm going by myself. God's been working on me. When Brother Kavanaugh called me and we were talking about arrangement, I said, Brother Kavanaugh, you have soul winning on Saturday? Yeah, can I come in on Friday? You know what? I'm realizing that there's a lot to do and I've gotten unburdened and I really don't care and I don't want to live that way. God, help me. Break my heart. Don't let me be that way. I fight it. I fight it. Soul winning is spiritual warfare. It's hard work. Yeah, I can sit in my office all day when I was pastoring, preach, and study. That's so easy. Have to go out and knock some doors. Man. He was burdened. There was a lost sheep. He was burdened. There was lots to do. He was burdened. There's a little help. Can I ask you something? Do those three things burden you? I'm talking about really burden you. Maybe to the point you have trouble sleeping sometimes. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of John. Three things that burn, six things that burden our Savior. We've gotten the first three. In the book of John, we will see the last three. Or the book of John and another passage of Scripture. In John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, you remember that Jesus was with his disciples. And he said to his disciples, I must needs go to Samaria. Remember that? And the disciples, I know, were wondering, what in the world are you going to the Samaria for? You know, to the, to the Jews, the Samaritans were half-breed dogs. I'm going to say something to try to help you. I'm going to tell you what, there is no place for any prejudice in a Christian. I despise any pastor who expresses any prejudice Amen. to me, Brother O'Donnell. Amen. 
I had some of them come to my church and sit in my house, and I said, you will not talk that way in my home. And I'm going to just tell you this. If your church is too good for the poorest person in Akron, you need to get your heart right. And if the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the drunks aren't welcome here, you need to get your heart right. I don't think that's true of you, but it may be true of some people. I know it's not true of your pastor. This ain't a social club. This ain't a place, it ain't a country club for the wealthy. This is a hospital for the lost and dying. Go into the highways and hedges. Go out and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame. I loved it. Man, I loved it. We went to a home where these people were mentally handicapped. We brought them in on our buses. They were such a blessing. We had a little girl named Robin. She was a Down syndrome girl. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. I should learn to preach and not do that. And she would come in, sit down in Sunday school class, I'd be teaching, she'd go, oh, shut up, knothead. <laughs> and we just laugh. She was such a blessing. She'd say that every week, everybody's waiting for it. <laughs> All right, there it is, folks, let's get busy. I'm telling you, when Robin died, I wept like a baby. We had a boy named Kurt. Kurt couldn't talk. Kurt went, well, well, participated in the Olympics and he had a gold medal. He worked at church every Sunday. And here's how Kurt come into people. You should have seen it the way some of these visitors were, you know. Kurt come up to him with his medal and go. And they're going. And then you go like this. He want a high five. And Kurt would do that. High five, Kurt. High five. And uh, Kurt would sit back in the back with my head usher. And one day I'm preaching and Kurt went like this. <laughs> Woo! Then one day Kurt decided he was going to help take up the offering. So here comes the head usher. Here comes Kurt right behind you. Stand right there. What'd you do, Brother Houston? Nothing. And from that point on until I left, Kurt helped on the offering, uh, the offering every Sunday morning. They just told me Kurt can't come anymore. I'm telling you, folks. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people out there hurting. There are a lot of Samaritan women. She's pretty despicable. She'd been married five times and was shacking up with a guy. What Jesus said, I got to go by there. She needs to be saved. And I love her. Amen. Right. And you know what he was concerned about? The disciples went in to get some food. The Bible says when they came back, Cody, it says that his disciples marveled that he was speaking with her. And finally, Jesus gets done. He said, Master, eat. And Jesus said, I have meat to eat you know not of. You know what the fourth thing was that burned our Savior? So little concern. Only thing those disciples were concerned about was their belly. They missed it, folks. 
They missed it like many of us. They missed that the most important thing is that woman was going to go to hell. And they needed to be concerned. Jesus was so concerned. He went through a land that was not customary. He went out of his way to get there. And they were so unconcerned. I ask you, how really concerned are you? Amen. So little concern. So little concern. You know, Brother O'Donnell, O'Donnell, no D on the end of that, I know. I, I was raised up in a fellowship, quote, independent Baptist. And we quit having soul winning way back when I was still young. And I grew up in this thing, and it was pretty hypocritical. So I just got clear out of church and said, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I was. Had no reason for that. But when my wife got saved and we started going to church, my pastor introduced me to John R. Rice. And I'm telling you, can I tell you something? My soul got set on fire. You know what, Brother O'Donnell? Brother Black? Back in the 70s, we had Jack Hiles and John Rice and Curtis Hudson. They were traveling the country. You know what they were preaching on? Soul winning and the power of the Spirit. Now we have church growth conferences. I'm not against that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But I'm telling you what, somebody needs to get back to setting souls on fire about seeing people saved. Amen. It burned in my heart back then. I remember going to those meetings and I couldn't wait to go to the restaurant so I could try to win somebody to Jesus. Now I'll go to a restaurant won't even leave a track. I'm just preaching to me. Ted Houston's going to get on an altar as soon as this message is over. And I'm going to ask God to break my heart and burden me. And you know, I wonder sometimes why Brother O'Donnell, I've prayed that many times, it hadn't happened. I don't have the answer to that. But I know this, I'm not going to quit seeking it. It'd be great if that Holy Ghost would blow in tonight. Blow into my heart and change me. That's why I'm preaching tonight. Jesus was burdened also, there was so little time. So little time. He said unto them, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I send you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Think about this. Think about this. Some people don't have four months for you to get your house built. When I pastored a lady up the street, Got the newspaper. I'm not going to pay for a liberal rag. Amen? She'd read it and she'd throw it in the driveway. I'd go pick it up. And you know what I read, don't you, brother? The sports page. Nope. The only thing I read in that paper was the obituary. You're morbid, Brother Houston. Not at all. You know what I want to be reminded? Somebody died in my city this week. Amen. 
I'd look at their name. I'd look at their age. There were some children in there. There were some teenagers in there. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 80, 90. I'd look at the minister who was doing their funeral. And I'd have to say, Brother O'Donnell, that person is probably in hell right now. I had a dear sweet lady in my church. She knew everybody. She's related to everybody, I think. And she would come in and say to me, Brother Houston, you know so-and-so. I said, no, I don't know them, Evelyn. She said, well, sure you do. Said, no, Evelyn, I don't know them. I'm sorry. Well, it doesn't matter. They're in the hospital. Would you go visit them? Now, listen to you. I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of what I'm going to say right now. And you can hate my guts if you want to, but I think a lot of it's not any better. I'd say, Evelyn, I'll go. And you know what I got? I got too busy. I got busy administrating a church. I got busy working on something in the building. I got busy mowing the grass. She'd come back on Wednesday or Thursday night. We had Thursday night. She'd say, did you go visit? No, no, Evelyn, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I got busy, but I promise I'll go. And I didn't go. She'd come back the next Sunday and, did you go? I know. She said, well, don't worry. They died. I mean, don't, don't bother. They died. I thought they had time, preacher. You know, Saturday, probably somebody died in this city. I'm not trying to, bur- I'm not trying to make a bother you. I'm just trying to help you. You know, I, I don't think that you and I can go around and say what kind of great Christian we are and all that kind of stuff. And we're not like Jesus at all because God's not looking on the outward appearance. He's looking on the heart. <clears throat> Lastly, if you'll turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Luke. To the book of Luke. <clears throat> I wrote a song one year for our missions conference, and this was the chorus. The one you sang tonight just really stirred me. It's like the, the, the song I wrote. Here's the chorus. Few men are caring. Few men will go. Few get men are giving, so the lost ones may know. Few men are praying. For God to call them there. Listen, do you hear the, last, the lost ones asking, does anybody care? The shortest sermon I ever preached was entitled The Verdict. I took that passage where the psalmist said, no man cared for my soul. And I put me on trial with the accusation that I did not care for their soul. <clears throat> they asked me these questions. How long have you been saved since I was five years of age? How long have you known that everybody's a sinner since at least I was five years of age? How long have you known that the penalty for sin is hell? I said, at least since I was five years of age. He said, how long have you known the only way they can go to heaven is to receive Jesus? Again, since I was five years old. How long have you known that somebody has to tell them? I said, I've known it a long time. And then they asked me this question. Well, did you tell them? And I had to answer, no. And they found me guilty. And then I said to my people, I'm going to call you to the stand the next. Shortest sermon I ever preached. Brother Pete Schaefer. Some of you know Brother Pete, the official. He was on his way to Branson. I preached that sermon. He walked out. You're the, my favorite preacher. Only took you 12 minutes. <laughs> I don't know if God Pete, or, Pete got it or not. Amen. Look at Luke. I'll give you the last one, but let's, let's set... 
the stage. Go back to Luke. Look at Luke chapter 10. Jesus said the harvest is plenty, labor true, a few, two times. In Matthew we read, and in Luke 10, two different situations. The first one he's looking on the multitudes. The second one he's sending them out two by two, the 70. Verse 1, after these things the Lord appointed other 70 also, sent them two and two before his face into every city and place where himself would go. Verse 2, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord harvest will send forth labors in his harvest. You have to take a context of this passage in order to see the next point. Look back, if you would, to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Are you there? Say amen. amen. The Bible says, and it came to pass as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus had just had these three encounters with people. One, two of them who came to Jesus said, I want to serve you. One he called. In every case, Jesus said to them, Before you make your decision... You have to understand there's a cost. You know what burdens Jesus? There's so few Christians who will pay the cost. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to cost you something to serve God. Can I tell you something? It's going to cost you something to care about souls. I used to say to my people lovingly, I'm trying to say it to you lovingly, I hope you see it. I said, folks, there's a cost to soul winning. It's not a real big one. Two hours on Saturday. Well, I hope you, I hope you understand my heart. I used to think to myself, God's not asking much of us. He's not asking us to give everything up. He asked that of some people. He asked that of those who, like your pastor and and like others who go into full-time ministry, they may never see their family again. They have to give up their their goals and their dreams. But when it comes to this matter of us being burdened and sharing the gospel people, what's the cost? Give up a few hours on Saturday. I'd have some of my people say to me, preacher, I'd be there, but i got to mow my yard. I love them. All right, let's please, I hope you're getting this. I, please, I hope, I beg, I plead. You don't see anything angry about this message. And I used to think, brother, you mean you can't give a couple hours for Jesus Come on, amen. and mow your yard later? That's it, amen. Is God asking you too big of, well, it's my Saturday, it's my day off. Well, the Jehovah Witness aren't worried about that. They're preaching a false gospel, leading people to hell. And then I have people say, well, I'm busy. Well, don't you think they're busy? Hey, they got wives. They got husbands. They own their own homes. 
They got children. Their children are in sports. They got a car to wash and a yard to mow. And they're willing to pay a cost for false doctrine. Well, I'm telling you, does God look down tonight at us as his children and say, man, I don't see the heart of Jesus in you. You're not burdened the way Christ was. I had a bus route in Festus. And I was struggling with it. And one day I read where Nehemiah got on his beast and he just drove around to see the conditions. And so I decided for the first hour and a half of my bus route, I wouldn't make one visit. I would just drive. And I'd just look and see the condition. I had a bus route that was in the country. Longest bus route, 15 miles out and in. Most of it trailer parks. I'd drive through there and see the little kids with dirt all over their face. See dad sitting on a a porch with a beer in his hand. Hear him screaming. And as I drove, God began to just break my heart. He began to soften this. And I got to realize I ain't out here running this bus route to to get numbers or win a game. I never won one bus captain contest. But I tell you what, God broke my heart over those kids. And I brought them into church. And I brought them on Sunday night. And I brought them on Wednesday night because I felt like these are people that are worth loving for Jesus. It cost me a lot. I was teaching in school, teaching a Sunday school class, singing in the choir and coaching. I'd run home on a Wednesday night. My wife would hand me a sandwich out the door and off I'd go. I'd stay at choir practice, choir practice over. I'd take them home, get home about 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, have to get up and go back the next day. Well, well, Brother Houston, it's just a lot of work. I'm not bragging, but what is one soul worth? Boy, if I could just get burned. I'm preaching to me tonight. I I can preach this sermon, but I don't think I can live it. There's a lot of times when we preachers preach and we can't live what we're preaching. Dr. Roloff said one time, I can't live everything I'm preaching, but it's in the book, so I'm going to preach it. Amen, it. And I'm going to tell you tonight, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Whether anybody else tonight gets anything, I don't want to leave here the same way I came in. I don't want to just say, well, you know, that's all wonderful. Thanks for a good message. I would really like to see God break my heart and burden me. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. When was the last time you shed a tear over a lost soul? Years ago, a Filipino group came through and sang this song. There are no more tears upon the altars. Can I tell you, we've become so calloused. Here's why. Iniquity has abounded. The love of many has waxed cold. And we live in such a wicked society that we have put up a defense so that we won't get moved and we won't get hurt. And somehow we got to let God take that crust off our heart and tenderize that thing. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please.
Six things that burden Christ. I'm not like Jesus. I don't claim to be. I want God to work in my heart tonight. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to turn off my mic. I'm going to the altar. You may join me if you wish. If you don't, that's fine. Father.